find this funny, humorous, ironical, any of those comments this morning, um, that I'm up here on the third day of a new year, and the sermon text leads me to preach on um, essentially a New Year's resolution sort of topic, and I've never done them, ever. However, when God points something out to me to change, I start then. So if he pointed something out on December 29th, it wouldn't really be a New Year's resolution, would it, if I started on the 29th? How many of you do New Year's resolutions ever? I see a, I see a hand. How, uh, Karen says, I've done one or two. <clears throat> How many of you, when God talks to you about something in your life, start changing right then? Okay, that's fair. Okay. Do you know why um, New Year's resolutions and, and these sorts of changes in our lives where we, we start something, why the third day is really a difficult day? Do you know why? Well, I mean, normally New Year's resolutions are just about done about this time on the third day of January. <laughs> and, and the problem isn't that it wasn't a good idea. The problem wasn't that you didn't have any self-control well, that might have been part of it. But, but the problem really is something they teach us in seminary about uh, family system dynamics is that making a change is not difficult. Maintaining the change until it's the new normal is the hard part. Okay, so as we do that, how some examples like this. How many of you uh, had a sibling that was really rebellious in the household, and they moved out, and another sibling started acting rebellious. No? It happens all the time, actually. If you have a family, and the oldest one is kind of rebellious and moves out, the next one starts to become rebellious because the system is used to the argument. A more practical example, or maybe another one, is, say, perhaps the example that, that I've seen, actually, is somebody lost a lot of weight. And everybody in the family started giving them candy. The system wasn't used to them being different. And, and people didn't even realize they were giving them candy or giving them things. They just, it just was they were used to a certain way, and that just has to be that way. And so how do you make it go back? And so with the arguing teenager or, or uh, an overweight person in the family, it just starts happening, and it it goes on and you don't realize it's happening. It happens in churches too where there's been a long-standing argument and the person that was having the argument stops, but the argument keeps going. Some of you have seen this in real life. Excuse me, my throat is... I, I don't want to. I didn't want to do that into the mic again. sort of like having a hairball. I didn't have any medicine to lick. <laughs> so um, our text this morning is about this. By the way, our text, the Bible reading from Colossians was also on this topic. So let me read the text and then we'll go on, okay? Because there are two examples in the text about how to make this happen or how it happens per se. So this is a Ephesians 4, 17 and following. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, 
for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Wow, that is a harsh statement about people, isn't it? Did you ever walk up to somebody and say, you have no shame and you live lives and you practice eagerly every kind of impurity? Stop it. Have you found that that approach works in your life? The reason it doesn't work very well is because we're calling them names and positions rather than really talking about what goes on in life. So if you've known somebody, like I've known somebody, and that I might have even been this person before Christ came into my life when I lived in a fraternity at Washington State in the early 1980s when it was a wild place to be. I know a lot of people that thought in order to have a really good time, they had to spend some time on the bathroom floor the next day holding a toilet. And if they didn't do that, they hadn't had very much fun. Let me talk to you about um, minds full of darkness that have wandered around. They don't really understand. They're full of lustful pleasure, and they're eager to practice it. See, we thought we were having fun, and we didn't realize that part of our fun was having this huge price, and we just forgot about that price the next time, and we just paid it again and again and again, and we had turned our minds away from God. Do you understand what it means, then, if I were to use that example in my own life, or maybe it's in your own life or somebody you know's life, that they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and they know it's not good for them, but they keep doing it. This is what this is about. They have wandered away from God's plan for their life. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. By the way, the deception is internal deception. In most cases, you've just sort of lied to yourself. You know that it's not good for you. You just keep doing it anyway. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't let sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I want to go back a little bit to verse 20 that says, that isn't what you learned about Christ. The Greek is really specifically mistranslated here. Some of you have talked to me about translations. And, and, I, and I know that I've sprung on you 
my attitude towards translations, which is a stunning surprise, is this attitude is this. The, the translation I like is the one that when it makes a mistake, it makes the mistake the same way all the time so that I can trust it. I trust that it's making a mistake in this way, and so I know when it's happening. Some of the translations don't do that. Some of the English translations, they make a mistake one way, and then they don't do it the next time, and so therefore they're not trustworthy to me when I'm reading. This is one of those. Verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. In the Greek is literally, that isn't how you learned Christ. It doesn't have an about in there. It doesn't have a with in there, and it doesn't have a from in there. It's that you have not learned Christ. That's not how you did it. Now, it implies that you learned it in the way of a conversation that, that you start to have with somebody you don't know. So before you meet somebody, you, you find out about them. Now, it might not be a long time before you meet them, but so if I walk up and I didn't ask this, this question this way, but I'm going to do this with Bill because he's smiling at me and I caught, I caught his eye for a second. Before I met Bill, even if this was the first time I met him and I see him, I now know about him because he's right over there. Now, if, if Mary Ellen had said, you have got to meet Bill, he is going to be a good friend to you, then that would have been the way that I learned about him. As soon as I meet him, then we start doing stuff together and we start learning about our relationship together. And as we start doing things together, maybe we go volunteer or we shovel walks or we do something, I don't know, something we've done together. Maybe it was wear Roman guard uniforms as we <laughs> did Bethlehem Revisited. We start learning about that relationship with each other. We learned ab I learned about him. Then I met him, and I learned him. I met him, and then we learned together. All of that is within the text of this. But that isn't how you learn Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, now the, comes the time where you work together. So the image is also this. It works for clothing, too. And I'll, and I'll do it this way. If, if, uh, and, and the only way I know that's really good is is my brother is a mechanic, okay? So my brother is a mechanic, and he wears a certain clothing and has his name, Kevin, here on the chest when he does his stuff. And, you know, mechanics have dirty hands, and sometimes they wipe their hands on their clothes, and they got stuff all over their clothes, and they go home. If he goes home wearing those clothes, and then they go out to dinner, and he wrestles around with his grandkids and all this stuff, pretty soon everything on his work clothes is everywhere he's been. Does that, that, that is exactly the way that is. Now, he used to tell me, he doesn't do this anymore because he, he's, he's got a lot of guys that work there and they wear gloves. They wear like the nitro gloves like the kitchen workers when they work on cars because it's like having an extra piece of skin that tears before your skin does. But before that, he used to say the only way to get the grease out from under your fingernails is shampoo, which means what? that it's with you everywhere you go until the next time you shampoo. But the image is this, that as a mechanic, his guys, they wear clothes down to the shop and they put on a uniform, clothes for that day. And before they leave the shop, they put off 
those clothes that are all messed up, that they've spent the day rolling around in the grease on the ground, or if he's towing somebody, he's been out in a gutter rolling on, it's just part of the job. We, as Christians, have been rolling around in the grease, wiping our stuff all over our clothing, whatever we are, all day long, every day, day after day after day. The image here is, take off those clothes and put on some new ones. Now, if you're a mechanic or somebody that wears a uniform that gets dirty clothes, or maybe you work in a kitchen and you get dirty clothes, because I know kitchen workers get dirty too, they got stuff all over them. And you wear those clothes to the wedding reception. You're not really dressed properly for the occasion, are you? But you would put on the right clothes for the next occasion. You would go home and change and put on a tie, put on new shoes, clean shoes, all those things. Maybe you didn't get it all out from under your fingernails, but you did your best. That's the image of taking off, put off the old way of life and put on the new way of life that's in the scripture here. That you're going to put on something, you're going to be perceived differently because you're wearing different clothes. Now, if this were just clothes, that's fine. We would just be like on the walk where if you're going to give a talk on the walk to Emmaus or on the youth weekend or someplace... Or, or if you're a Gideon, did you notice when the Gideon came and spoke, he wore a coat and tie because that's the uniform of the Gideon when they come and speak. They do that for two reasons. One, they're really used to it. No. But two, they do that because everybody that's bothered by the coat and tie really isn't bothered in that setting by the coat and tie. But there are people in this world, when you go to into a church, and you're not wearing a coat and tie, you're not dressed properly to speak to them. You haven't taken the occasion seriously. Have you met those people? I've met them, and, and sometimes they don't like me as a pastor because I'm not wearing a coat and tie, but I'm, not, I'm actually a T-shirts and jeans guy. This is really dressed up. But, but you understand that the perception that the Gideon speaker you was counting on was that he would be a professional speaker. He did a good job speaking in this thing. He stayed on topic. That was all part of his plan. So he did this. He took off his other clothes and he put on a new self. Let me switch gears for another thing, give you another example. Let's say you're doing the 31 days with Jesus. Is there anybody in here? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but we had some others. Is there 31 days of Jesus people in here? I'm going to raise my hand because I'm doing it. Um, you're about the third, fourth day. It's starting to get hard to do it, isn't it? Okay, so um, let me give you an example. Say you're going to do it in the morning, but your normal pattern in the morning has been to come in, get your breakfast ready, whether that's oatmeal or whatever it is. Mine's oatmeal. And to turn on the TV and sit and watch TV, Good Morning America, while you eat and do all this stuff. But you decide that instead of turning on Good Morning America this morning, you're going to read your 31 Days with Jesus text and, and not watch Good Morning America. The first thing you have to do is not turn on the TV. 
The second thing you have to do, instead of just bringing the Bible to the breakfast table or wherever you're going to do that, you have to open it and read it. That is, take off the old clothes, don't turn on the TV. Put on the new clothes of Christ. I'm going to read this text. I'm going to set the time aside, and I'm going to actually do it. That's how you're, part, you're, you're taking off the old and putting on the new. Let's say perhaps you want to live a life of thankfulness, and, but you've got some people you need to say thank you to, and so you're going to, I know somebody that's done this, they're going to write a thank you letter to somebody every day in the morning. And so they're going to do that. Now you go to the store and you buy a thankful a ba- box of thank you cards and they come in sixes. Right? Isn't that about right? Isn't that what they come in? Sixes? By a packet? You know that on the seventh day, if you haven't picked up a new box, you're done. You're not going to do it unless maybe you're going to write on regular paper. So, so how you renew this process in your mind is before you run out, you go out and you buy more thank yous so that you can make provision to continue the practice until it's the new normal in your life. And then you'll know that pretty soon you'll have five boxes of thank yous just hanging around waiting for it. And before you get to the last box, you know you've got to buy more so that you can continue to write thank you notes to people. Take off the old self and put on the new and then renew your mind. The Bible says this in several different places. In Matthew 11 or 12, it, I, I read it this morning, but I got... I was away from my book that said how many verses I was supposed to read, and so I read 1 through 4 the first day. That's what you were supposed to do. And then I read 5 through 8 the second day, but it said 5 through 7. And so this morning, on the third day, I read 9 through 12. And so I'm not really sure if everybody has read verse 12 or where I was in that. But do you remember there's this spot where Jesus talks about casting a demon out of somebody and what goes on with the demon? The demon goes through the places where not very much fun for demons. Is it, was it news to you that there were places where demons didn't want to be? And he goes, I, he essentially to put words in his mouth, he goes, I don't like it here. I'm going to go back to where I was. And if they find the place not filled with a new behavior, they come in stronger with friends. How many of you have tried to quit smoking or saw somebody quit smoking in their life? Okay, you don't have to get it. Quit smoking. When you threw the cigarette box out of the car window when you're driving and you made the first decision, that's littering, by the way. Don't do it that way. But do <laughs> it's, o- it's, o- it's okay. I get it. It's biodegradable, too. So, <laughs> How many of you went home and threw out the, the ashtrays? you store them for later in case you needed them again and once you failed and you brought out the ashtrays again did it make quitting the next time harder you've taken off the new clothes when you cast the cigarettes out the car window but you didn't put on new clothes by getting rid of the ashtrays and finding some new hand to mouth behavior that didn't cause you to gain 65 pounds This is the thing. 
If I'm going to take my morning ritual and put in 31 days with Jesus, I have to continue to do the 31 days until it's the new normal. I'm not saying that you should have to do that. I'm enjoying reading the scripture as, as just as a story this time. How many of you always study and dissect when you go into the scripture? It's, it's got to be like a task thing. How many of you just read it devotionally, just go, I'm just going to read it? Do you continue that practice? Because that practice keeps the Bible as a renewing word of God in your life. You're not just to dissect the word of God. Sometimes you just need to submit to it and let it have its way in you. Let me tell you just a little bit of insight that I got from the, when I read the first four chapters. You can check this out if you want to. I was noticing one thing going on there as I, as I become really aware of the Old Testament storyline of what Israel had gone through and come through. Did you see that Jesus was, was going through the steps of the Exodus? He was going down into Egypt and then being brought back out of Egypt and, he was go- and, and then back into exile and then brought back out of exile. That he was, that they were, you could line up some major events of Israel's history in Jesus' life and go, He's, they're doing, why would they do that? Hmm. Why would they say Jesus is actually living part of the Israelite history and then doing it well? Why does he go spend 40 days in the wilderness to be tested? Does that seem familiar to the Israelite story somewhere? But he comes out this other way. The devil says, well, you're really hungry. Go make food for yourself. You can do that. that. Didn't that something like that happen in the ancient Israelite history? Only they, they couldn't get by without doing it, but they didn't trust God, and Jesus did. Look, he's reenacting the Israelite history. Did you notice that? Go check that out. That's pretty cool, don't you think? What about uh, the second day, yesterday? I was reading it, and I suddenly realized that Jesus was teaching and he was doing all this stuff. If he's reenacting Israelite history, every so often there was Pharisees getting mad at something. Did you notice that in the second day? Because he's teaching, but he's also teaching across the shoulder of the people's teaching and go, if you'd lived this history, you would know that this is the way you're supposed to be, but instead you're not doing it. That there's this edge to what he's teaching that this is, by the way, if you'd been slaves and known you'd been slaves and known that God brought you out of Egypt, then you really would be humble and thankful. You wouldn't have to be told, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the humble, blessed are the ones that know they can't do it themselves because you'd remember that you can't do it. It was very interesting. But anyway, so back to our sermon today about renewing our mind, about taking off the old clothes and putting on the new ones. So you have an old habit. I had an old habit, and I've shared this a little bit. I, was a, I had an old habit, and that habit was making fun of everybody and making their life miserable <laughs> and being mean generally to everybody. I was an equal opportunity harasser. And then Christ came into my life. 
Now, the problem with being super sarcastic every minute of the day is that it starts to infiltrate every aspect of your life. And if you're going to remove that, then, then maybe it's not so much as easy as I'm going to have to stop doing that and just start talking nice to people. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That maybe if before I came to Christ and I didn't like people and I was mean to them, maybe I was going to have to start learning how to be nice to them first and, and actually have some value on their being and their importance. And so this is what God did to me a little bit. I got to say I'm sorry a lot. Can you forgive me? Pretty soon that price is really high. You don't want to have to do that again. And so you stop the behavior, but, but you're going to have to replace the old behavior with a new behavior that takes its place so that it doesn't have this empty spot in your life in the same way as quitting cigarettes needs some new finger-mouth behavior so that you don't gain 60 pounds, but maybe 60 pounds is better than smoking. Now, you, now I'm not telling you anything that hasn't happened. You haven't seen that, right? That people that do quit smoking often do gain weight because they have to... They've been doing this for a while. And pretty soon this is still going on, but it doesn't have the cigarette in it, but something's got to go in there. And you're maybe not thinking about it. But how does God do that? He starts to give you a new behavior. He starts to actually, if we go back into our Ephesians study, uh, the first two maxims of godliness were this. Do you remember them? The first one is, is that you need to mentally sort of be aware. You have to know who God is and, and understand what he's done for you. That's an activity of the mind. You've got to sort of take hold that I've been saved by a God that could do things that I couldn't do. And you've got to take hold of that. When you take hold of something, do you let go of it and go, well, that was a really important fact for last week, but it's not important this week? No, you keep holding on to that. That is life in general. Man, I've got to do that. I've got to grab it until my knuckles go white. The second maxim of godliness was is that you've got to live a life of love and adoration for God. Boy, if he's done something you can't do and he did it for you and you couldn't earn it, thankful and love should flow out of you. Now, for me, when I was not very nice to people, I started to learn how to love God. And pretty soon, if that love is real between me and God, that's going to start spilling out into how I view all the rest of his creation. And so when I didn't actually think other people were worth very much and I wasn't a believer and I didn't come and I, and I was a wild child and I was doing all these things, I got to tell you that God taught me that other people are valuable to him before he made them valuable to me. And so as I was putting off this old behavior, he was putting a new behavior inside me, which was to go, wow, they really might have something to say to me because God loves them. Now they have something to say to me because God has loved them and I'm learning to love them too. Because the love between me and God is real, it starts to spill out of my life in the same way that sin was spilling out of my life ahead of time. Remember the three types of sin, the ick I do that gets on me and everybody else, and the ick they do that gets on them and everybody else, and then the other stuff we slosh around on. Well, love works the same way. 
Have you noticed that when you start loving on people and it starts sloshing out of you pretty soon, it starts affecting their lives too? In the same way that sin breaks relationship, love fixes relationship. And so we come to our text and we say this, how do I put off the old self and, and put on the new self and renew my mind through the word of God and the activity of God in my life? Well, just in the same way, do you remember when I met Bill over here that somebody pointed him out to me and then we got to know each other and then we started walking the same path together? Thus it is with Christ. We meet him, somebody starts pointing him out, then they says, man, you gotta, you got to meet this guy, this Jesus guy. He's pretty spectacular. You had better go meet him. And, and if you're like any other human being in the world or, or just like me, and you've got enough, enough rebellion in you, you go, well, I don't really have to meet him. And you convince yourself you don't have to. By the way, that's that lying, deceitful, they've turned from God's ways of the first section of the text. And then you meet him, and you go, wow, he actually was nice to me, and that, that's pretty amazing. He cared for me. Wow, and you meet him and you invite him into your life and he doesn't do things for you without your, without your participation. Now, God doesn't come down and just zap you and make you different. Now, there's something different about you positionally. As soon as you accept Jesus, you have a different destiny, a different destination, if you will. The, the wages of sin are death and, and the wages of love of God is life then you have a different destination. But if you're hip deep in the muck when you meet Jesus and you turn around, you're still hip deep. But you're facing a different way and now it's time to start walking. And as you walk with him and he says, you know, you've got this thing in your life. We could fix that. And that one thing in your life is different for every one of you. Have you ever had a chance, ever had it been to a retreat or anywhere where somebody says, you know, today we're going to nail something to the cross. You get to pick something in your life and give it to Jesus. Have you ever had that? If you haven't had that, then talk to me about it. We'll make that happen. But this is the moment. I'm going to give you that moment right now without the cross and the nailing, all this other stuff. But this is it. If you've got a behavior in your life that God's been talking to you about, and my, my experience is, is that as soon as I ask God what that behavior is, he tells me. And there's not a long wait. I really wonder what you'd like to do in my life, God. I just wish I'd, you'd spend six weeks not telling me. It just does not happen that way. If you come to him and go, what am I doing wrong? It's, it's, it's right there, isn't it? Because you know what annoys you and other people what annoys other people in you, what God's seeking to fix in that behavior. So this is it. I'm going to ask you four seconds. You've got the four seconds to get, up, get your one thing that, that you want to give up to God, that you're going to say, God, what is the one thing you want to work on in my life? Okay, and so four seconds. Okay, you got something? Um, let's focus on the one because we're human. You know what the problem with trying to do two things at once is? Is that you don't do either of them very well. But if you do the one thing, if you focus on the one thing with God, 
and later on you let him do the second one with you, then you'll get them both done. But if you try to do both right now, you probably won't do either. And so I know this God is always working on the number one priority in my life, and he always has his number one priority in your life and everybody else's life. The problem is, is what I think ought to be number one in somebody else's life is almost never his number one priority. And I need to let him have that priority in their life. Have you ever let God have their priority in somebody else's life? It's harder than trying to keep your priority his priority. Because he's not working on your priority and it's not happening. Maybe cigarette smoking is in my neighbor's life and I want them to give it up, but maybe, maybe God wants to meet them first. Maybe cigarettes is 15th on God's priority list. 42nd? That's about right, too. <laughs> Who knows? So here it is. I would invite you to take off your your dirty, messy set of clothes from that one thing that you just spent four seconds coming up with. Just want you to take that off and ask God for the new, clean clothes that he has for you. And then I want you to find some way to fill the behavior vacuum from God's word. That's how we do this. If maybe it's hitting the, the snooze machine on your radio every morning, maybe you need to fill hitting the snooze button with five push-ups or sit-ups or something. And then you won't, every time you hit the snooze button, you've got to do five. Pretty soon you won't be hitting the snooze button. And you'll be wide awake because your heart's pumping. I don't know what it is. It's okay. Um, if you need some help and you've got an activity that you don't have any idea how to deal with it, and you don't, but you know somebody, there's somebody you trust that's dealt with it, ask for some help. That's what the body of Christ is for. Some of you have been through things that I've never been through. You might be better at it than me. I might be better at something than you. That's why we need each other. So I'm going to finish with this. I'm just going to read verses 20 through 24 again. But that isn't how you learned Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which was corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we come to a spot in our life where we will be changed, your third maxim of holiness, of, of your life being developed in us, that we will be changed, we will be different. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the chance to be different. Help us work with you to make that happen. Amen.